0: In Deuteronomy chapter ten, if you want to turn there, there's going to be a series of things on Sundays that we're gonna that I'm going to talk about and kind of hopefully create some some baseline understandings of some of the normal natural rhythms of things that we do together, uh, and it's kind of coming out of this thing where it seems like Jesus. Uh, like, directly in the, in, like, throughout the whole Bible, okay, so we believe that Jesus wrote the whole Bible, not just the parts in red, but that through the whole Bible, God's constantly telling us to do things, or to not do things, you know? Um, and I'm not really talking about, like, sin and ho- versus holiness, like, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, like, he has installed into the life of his people certain, like, behaviors and practices and these things that are just kind of normal parts of the church all around the world, all the way back to the biblical times that Christians have just done for a long, long, long time. And so, whether he's saying, you know, when you fast, fast like this, the assumption is like my people fast. That's what part of what they do. When you pray, pray like this. The assumption is that the people of God pray. When he like, institutes the Lord's Supper, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. And the assumption is that the people of God are going to do that in remembrance of him. There's always these, in, these instructions that he has. And sometimes they make perfect sense to us. You know? So when, when the instruction is to, like, to be together, we understand togetherness. And so when scripture says, Don't forsake the assembling together of one another. We're like, okay, I, I get that. That makes sense. We should be together. When, when we're told to, to serve like Jesus served and to consider the needs of others ahead of our own, we're like, okay, that makes sense. So some of the instruction that he's given us, you're like, yeah, I get that totally. I may not always do it faithfully, but I understand it. And then there's some things that are super mysterious, you know? Like when we do the Lord's Supper, there's some, there's some mystery there. You know, there's a plate over here with bread and juice in it, and something special happens there. But we don't always necessarily know exactly what that is. And there's different understandings from different denominations and different traditions. And people, you know, like there's been splits in churches over what happens at that table. Is there something happening or is there nothing happening? And so, you know, that's kind of one of those mysterious things. Baptism is a mysterious thing. The Sabbath is a mysterious thing. Um, so some, of, some things make sense. Some things don't make sense at all. Um, but regardless of how much sense they make, these things are a part of Christianity. It's a part of what he has called us to do. And anything that we do with regularity can easily be just lumped into this category of like tradition. Or just saying like, well, it's just, what, it's just what you do, you know? And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff this summer because it's too meaningful for it to just be tradition and just going through the motions. Jesus wouldn't just tell us to do things to do it. Um, uh, when I was, I don't know, can we just do a quick survey? How many of you at some point in your life have played a band instrument at some point? All right, a lot of band folks. Okay, uh, and I know all of you have not, and that's fine. I think this, this will be this will be fine. So some of you played for like two weeks, and you're like negative. This is not happening. And then some of you, you know, kept going and stuff. So my parents, um, both musicians, met in Tiger Band at LSU. Uh, so genetically, me and my brothers just have some like musical stuff going on, right? So we kind of grew up in that music all the time, music all the time, it was, it was, it was taxing sometimes, but it was awesome in, in other ways as well, and um, so one of the things, like, growing up, like, my dad was the band director at Central High, so I kind of was the, like, the little toddler kid that grew up kind of just around high school kids, and just kind of saw that, and was a part of that, and then got to middle school, and I started playing in the band at Estruma, Estruma Middle, and then went to Central High and played, and then like, being in the, like, LSU, like, Golden Band from Tigerland was, like, just kind of one of those things I always wanted to do. I wasn't obsessed with it. You know, I wasn't going to, like, you know, the world, my world wasn't going to fall apart if I didn't get to do it. But I just kind of always wanted to. And so, uh, the opportunity came, and I don't know how it works now. Okay, it's been 20 years, right? So, I'm not sure how it works now, but this is kind of how it happened then. The Whenever, like, before school started, like, two weeks before, they'd get all the freshmen for Tiger Band together. And they would have some auditions and stuff like that. But you would spend a couple of days with just the freshmen and, like, the different leaders from the Tiger Band. And they would kind of teach you all the basic stuff you needed to know about Tiger Band before all the veterans came back. And then it kind of like became, like, the big giant band, right? And so there were a couple of things that they would do with us that um, that you would probably never notice if you go to a game. And so, you know, LSU game... Lots of people, lots of, you know, inebriation happening, right? Just lots of stuff you would just never notice. And uh, I had gone to those games my whole life, lots of stuff I never noticed either. I just knew that when the band started coming out, everyone got all excited. And then they started to play the pregame, and they face each, of the, each corner, and each corner kind of erupts, and it goes through this thing, and then they spell out LSU and uh, play the national anthem and the alma mater. And then at that time, they, like just went, did this like crazy configuration thing. And that's, you know, they were making a tunnel at the other end and now they face it the other way and they do all kind of other stuff. But we didn't do that when I was there. So going into Tiger band, uh, pre it's called pregame. And so pregame was the most important thing for them to instill in us as Tiger band members. And so what they would do is break you into groups. They would start teaching you all these little things that happen that most people would never notice. But it all has to happen in order for, like, the pregame thing to be the pregame thing. And around the country, you have Ohio State, you have Texas A&M, and really you have LSU. And past that, there aren't a lot of, like, pregame things where the marching band is, like, featured. And it's, like, an important thing, you know. And so it was very important, very important tradition. I was marching the same drill that my mom and dad marched. Like, it was, like, the same formation thing at that time before they went and changed it. And so that was kind of cool. And so you get there, and they start to teach you a couple of things. And, like, one of them was, like, uh, it was just, like, this very important moment. So you're, like, standing there, and you kind of have, like, your, like, the trumpet or whatever is like this. And, you know, the drums start playing. And at one moment, like, all the all the horns, like, shoot up. And so I was just thinking, like, you just know when that happens. And when they were teaching it to us, they are like, here's what, what we do. We kind of put this little, they call it a hitch. It's like you, like... You shake and then it goes up, you know, so it's like right before it happens everyone kind of like does like this and then like everything goes up I was like, oh, okay, and they're like you have to do the hitch I'm Like I can remember when they put the horn up, you know, not that hard guys and If you didn't do the hitch, they be like, hey, you didn't do the hitch. You gotta do the hitch like, Okay, fine And so they would teach us the hitch and then there's like a part where like the left foot shoots out and they would say like zip and everyone's like, zip, you know, oh, okay, zip. So all the feet went out and you had to do, turn your feet certain way so that you could pivot and turn the different things. And then, then you start going down the field and like the, the band's marching in these like straight lines and they're going down. And there comes this one point where the band reverses direction and goes back the other way. And it's called the, the TTR, stands for to the rear. And it's the hugest deal in the whole world. Because if you miss that, the whole stadium knows it. The whole stadium is not paying attention. We all know that, okay? But in the band department, it was a massive, massive deal. And so you can't miss the TTR, all right? And so in practicing it, uh, there like comes a point where they built it in, melodically into the song so that you knew the TTR was coming so that you would not miss that and be embarrassed. When the band is slowly marching out onto the field, right before it comes time to stop, everyone starts to hiss, And they hiss all the way up to the part, and they stop the hiss. And there's all these things that they built into it. That seems so dumb to me. But it was, like, super, super important. Um, Those things, you had all that, and you had, like, terminology you had to learn, like TTR. You had to learn the different fight song names, and there was, like, there was, like, fight for LSU, and then there was Coda fight, and then there was Hay, and there was like first down, and we didn't do, we did second down, I think we started that, but we used to not do third down. There's all these different, co- like, just things you have to kind of know what's coming up and what's happening, and the drum major would do certain things, and so, um, you guys remember Rodney Sutherland? So his brother Wade was a drum major one year, and Wade, the signal for pregame, he would just do this. He would do like this, and everyone just knew, oh, right, we got to play pregame, and it just happened. So you kind of would learn all these signals and these terms and all this stuff that... That I just didn't really think were that important, and um, the the farther you get into it, you like when the band's playing certain things, uh, every section like does like certain like dances and stuff like that, and then uh, certain sections would have like a party. So the tenor section would always throw a toga party, and the trumpet section would always have a luau, and there's like all these traditions, and they would ride certain buses, and there's just like all these things that went on that I never ever picked up on before, and thought most of them were completely dumb, uh, honestly. And so all these things are happening, and the first, uh, like the first thing at the end of first rehearsal, they taught us this cheer that the band does at the end of every rehearsal. And then on Saturdays, the band gets together and they sing the alma mater, which now they, the whole stadium does it because Les wanted to do that. But before that, it was just the band. And so you had all these traditions and all these things that were just a part of it. And I used to think they were all dumb. And here's what happened: my very first game as a freshman, uh, we're doing pregame and you're just a little bit nervous. It's kind of a, it's kind of a moment, you know, and um, there's kind of two moments that first game. The first time you, like, come down the hill when there's, like, a billion people there and you kind of, like, play pregame and you run into the stadium. And then there's your actual pregame time. And we, like, did the first pregame and it was all, it was all fine, or so I thought. And as we're going back up into the stands, uh, there's, like, some of my friends who are in my same section were, like, huddled in the corner crying. I was like oh no what happened And apparently it was the biggest Mess up of pregame in the history of mankind um, the, the, Basically they missed the TTR One girl missed it ten yards too early And then caught up And then five yards too early missed it again And took her two friends on each side with her Five yards ahead of time And then when it came to the actual TTR they missed that one too So there were three misses And uh, it, was, it was a bad deal and I realized something. I was like, huh, the hitch and the hisses and building the TTR into the song and all that kind of stuff was all this stuff that was designed to, to protect the integrity of the drill and the tradition of pregame. It was to help you not mess up. It was to help not happen. It was help that to not happen. And so, uh, whenever that happens, you get pulled out and you don't get to march it again. And so that was why they were crying. And, they never marched it again, and so that's just kind of how it went. And all those little traditions and all those little goofy things were, were for our good, you know? And so if you didn't do the hitch, they're like, you're going to miss the horns up, and we're going to pull you out. And you're going to cry on the sidelines, and you're going to you know, you're gonna have to deal with that. We don't want you to have to deal with that. We don't want you to mess it up. We want you to succeed. We want the whole thing to succeed. And all these little things that were in there were just kind of a part of it. And then the parties and the riding the certain buses and all the little dances and all the signals and all that kind of stuff, they just kind of bonded us together. And so you had all this relational stuff from the little mechanical things about pregame all the way down to the dances that you would do during the games and the traditions and all that kind of stuff. All of it was this relationship to each other and to the organization and to the fans And to the alumni, and to, it just goes out from there. And I was all kind of a part of it. And I thought it was so dumb for so long, and there's a lot of it I still think is dumb. But I understand now what was built into that. And so sometimes with church things, there are some things that are like that. There are, are certain mechanical rhythms that we're a part of that are built into how, like, the church family kind of functions and they can seem really dumb sometimes. They can seem like it's just something on the calendar. It's like, oh, it's Sunday. I gotta go to church. I guess, you know? Oh, it's community group night. You know, whatever. I understand feeling that way. Um, there are times when, uh, especially the way that we do communion, where it's just it's an option. There are probably probably times when you feel like, well, I guess I should, but I'm not, I'm not really feeling it today. You know, you got, you got Cody up here who's like, come on, let's sing it again. You're like, I don't want to sing it again. I understand that. You know, we all do. And so it's very important before we talk about communion and before we talk about baptism, before we talk about the gathering of the saints and before we talk about Sabbath and, and those kinds of things, that we understand why has God built these things into the rhythms of our community? What's the point of it? The practices of the church are deep and rich, and there are ways that we're blessed and kept. You know, we say that blessing over one another every week. The Lord bless you and keep you, and some of these things are exactly how he does that. It's his face shining upon us. It's his countenance being lifted. It's all those things built together together. So we've got to engage in these things correctly so that every drop of goodness is soaked up and so that we don't become just religious Americans. We just go through the motions. All right, look at Deuteronomy 10. Starting in verse 12. We see that from the very beginnings of God's people, he's been telling them to do stuff. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve uh, the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the, and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people, as you are this day. Okay, so he kind of like hands down these instructions in uh, verses 12 and 13. And notice the interweaving of the inward and the outward. Okay, the inward and the outward are woven together. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 12. Now, uh, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And then he lists these five things. Fear the Lord, walk in His ways, love Him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and keep the commandments and statutes. Okay, so look at the first one. First one, fear the Lord your God. This is not fear like a bad fear. This is respect. This is awe. This is reverence. This is understanding who He is and who you are in light of who He is. It's knowing His place, knowing your place. It's this really healthy, beautiful thing. And so fear is one of, those, it's one of those translations, translation things like out of Hebrew into English that just kind of doesn't quite land where it should. And so don't, try not to hear fear as bad, you know. So be in awe of God. Um, that's, that's an inward thing, right? So that's, there's the inward. And then the second one says walk in his ways. Okay, so you're talking about obeying him and imitating him. And so that's kind of an outward thing. So from your from your awe and your reverence of Him that's inward, the outward is to walk in His ways. Because He is the Holy One, the sovereign creator of the universe, sustaining everything and holding it together. So when He says, do this, you're like, okay, yeah, I will do that. So there's the inward and there's outward. The third one says, love Him. Just love Him. And so that's this, this thing of like, do you... Uh, I was watching uh, Dallas Willard teaching on some of this stuff, and he was talking about love. Love is just when you're like, man, I want what's good for you, and I'm going to act on it. So it's desiring what's good for the Lord, and then that has an an, an action to it, and so that's inward and it's outward. So, being all in all, of the Lord is inward, obeying Him and walking in His ways, that's outward. Loving Him is inward and outward. The fourth one, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. This holistic devotion and commitment, and so all the heart and the soul, that's inward, but the serving is, is outward, and so that's inward and outward. Um, the fifth one, keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Okay, so you're doing what He says because you believe in what He says, and so... That's inward and outward. And so it's, it's not this thing where God just says, do this and this and this and this and this. And it's all behavioral stuff. Where we're trying to make sure we're doing the right things and in the right order and all that kind of stuff. And it's all external. And so we just have to keep modifying our behavior and everything will be fine. All these outward things come from the inward. It's inside out. This you've been around here for a while, this should all be like, yeah, we've heard this before, we've heard this before. Uh, And Paul was very unapologetic about circling back to the same things with people, and so I'll just get in line behind him. We have to keep revisiting this, especially with things that are repetitive in some way. We have to understand that when God says, do this, it's beginning with this inward love for him, need for him, belief in him. And so when we put our hands to something, it's coming from this place of goodness inside of us, and not just this external stuff. When it's just external, that's when it's religion. That's when it's just going through the motions. That's when what happens in this time doesn't impact the rest of the week very much. You know, That's what we don't want to become. None of us want to be that. We see it around us a lot, especially in our country. None of us, we see it, we're like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to just check that box for the week. I know there's more to it. And so all of these things God has said to do, they are coming from a relationship. It's all relational. All of these things are. The in and the out, they fuel one another. Look at verse 13 the end of verse 13, you know, so he's listed these five things. Um, at the end, uh, it says, And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which is the fifth one, which I am commanding you today for your good. That all five of those things are for your good, for my good, for the good of his people. And you know, if we can... If we can... Tear out from its roots this lie that God is somehow depriving us of our desires, you know. And the roots of that is this belief that our our feelings and our wants and stuff like that are this like supreme ultimate thing. We we buy into that. It's a part of living in the country and the culture that we live in. We're told like whatever you want to do in the moment, that's the that's fine. And, if, and when you have that conflict, you're like, well, I kind of want to do this, but I know God has said, don't do that. There's a part of you that internal turmoil that's like, man, why is he keeping me from what I want? And that, that's, that's destroying us. We see it all around us where we really believe that if you desire it, that's the most important thing in the moment and everyone else is wrong and you're right. And we can, we can so easily get wooed by those lies and those beliefs. And so we will get much closer to abundant life if we'll just let Jesus tear those lies out and say, you know what, your, your desires and the things that you want and all that kind of stuff, it's not that they don't matter at all. They just don't matter as much as we think that they matter and as much as we're told that they matter. God is telling us to do things, to draw us more deeply into what is good for us. And he's telling us to not do things because he's protecting us from what's going to hurt us. It's just, it's just that simple. And if we could just, just have like just the integrity to say, you know why I did that yesterday? Because I just wanted to. I decided that what I wanted to do was more important than what God wanted to do. Let's just be honest about it, you know. And so, yeah, I chose myself over God. That's idolatry, a form of pride. And we've been fighting it from the beginning. And we'll fight it to the end. A little better each time, hopefully. But we have to understand that this is God doing things for our good. He's saying, do this stuff. It's good for you. Trust me, I created everything I know. And when he says, don't do those things, it's he's, he's protecting you from what is going to hurt you. It's so simple. All of this stuff is rooted in relationship. It's all, it's all connected there. And so all those practices, like all the stuff I was talking about in Tiger Band, all those little things fit into this bigger thing. And all the practices of the church, all the rhythms of things that we do consistently together are all rooted in relationship with God and with one another. All of them. He would not call us to do things that have no purpose, he wouldn't instruct us in, in, in something that is just simply to see if we would do it or not, just for kicks. They all have a purpose. It's all about relationship. So, um, let me just run through a couple of them here. Um, if, you're, if you're like, man, I just don't really love God. You know what he would tell you? Alright, stand up and sing. Yeah, But, but, I, don't, but I don't love it. I sing it anyway. But I'm not very sincere in that. It doesn't matter. As a Christian, stand there and sing, Jesus we love you, oh how we love you, you're the one our hearts adore. Sing it over and over and over again. And you know what will happen? You'll get a little closer to where you want to be. Listen to other people singing it. Don't love God, stand and sing. You feel isolated from God and from other people? Gather together. You don't feel forgiven? Take communion. You can't tell the difference between the truth and the lie? Read the Bible. You're questioning your salvation? Relive your baptism. Your life is out of order? Sabbath. You're dominated by money and materialism and anxiety? Tithe. You need anything at all, big or small? Pray. All of these things, they they meet us right where we are. It's almost like he knew what he was doing. It's almost like he knew. He says, okay, I'm going to build these things in to connect you to me and to connect you to each other. And you do them, and you do them regularly. Repeatedly. It'll accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. And once the love is fueled, it drives you into the practices more. And once you're, when you're practicing things more, you love him more. And then the love pushes you into the practices, and the practices into the love... And it just keeps fueling over and over and over again. It's just putting oxygen on this fire, and it just engulfs into this massive thing. Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to use these everyday things, every week things, some of them uniquely corporate, some of them also translate individually, all these different things. I want to use all of them to fan into flame the gift of God in all of you. Look go verse 14. It's all rooted in relationship. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people, people as you are this day. He's saying, here's God who has the whole universe that's his. And he looks at Israel and says, my love is going to be set on you and to your children who are hearing this and reading this and then we're grafted into this family so God could have anything he wants in the whole universe and he looks at you and at me and says yeah my love is going to rest there That all of this comes from our relationship this relationship that is intact and full and solid and so our, our identity matters this is some of what we do because we are the people of God. You get to where it's like, well, well, yeah, we're going to sing. We're the, his people. Well, yeah, we're going to pray. It's what we do. If you vacuum relationship out of it, it becomes just religious rhythm. But from a relationship, it's like, well, of course we're going to sing to our God. Of course we're going to pray to our God. Of course we're going to gather together. Of course we're going to step to the communion table. Of course we're going to celebrate baptism. Of course we're going to do these things. Because it's who we are. Jesus put it far more succinctly than I could uh, in John fourteen fifteen. You don't need to turn to it. It's real short. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And Taylor and I were talking earlier about how that, you know, I always focus on that word, if, at the beginning. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It sounds like like an ultimatum or a test or like something weird. But in the context of John 14 and 15 and 16, it's really more like, because you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Since you love me... You'll keep my commandments. It's, it's never separate. The, the action is never separate from the relationship, ever, all throughout the Bible. Ever, ever, ever. If we separate them, we engage in just dead religion that none of us want to be a part of. When they're always together, the doing flowing from our being, living from God... Leads to living for God. And there's always this point of of, of origin. As Dallas Willard put it in that verse. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That the keeping comes from the loving. Keeping comes from the loving. Keeping leads to more love. Which leads to more keeping. Which leads to more love. And more love and more love. So... Next couple of weeks we'll talk about some of these things on the list at this point and not and won't be in this order but communion, baptism, sabbath, gathering for worship, prayer, scripture probably add a few more so that we can, you know, as a church understand this is why we do this. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. This is where it comes from. This is how it fits into us being the people of God. This is what we do. Not in a ritualistic way, in a like, relational connection to God and to each other kind of way. Now we've all just gone through the motions before. And I'm hoping that the more we talk about it and share about it and think about it, maybe, maybe we can distance ourselves from that. Maybe it changes the way you drive to this building, or whatever building we end up in. Maybe it changes what happens before the music starts, or maybe it changes how you process it after. Maybe it changes your community group day. Maybe it changes certain things about us. Um, But I think that God wants us to never, ever, ever forget that it comes from our love for Him, which He initiated So we love him because he loved us first, so he loved us first, and then we're able to love him back, and then that fuels our keeping of these things filled with meaning, and not the meaning vacuumed out. And so, that's sort of a foundational thing about where we're going to go in the next couple weeks. But I hope even, even this gives us some things to think about. That in our loneliness and isolation, he gathers us together. He instructs us to sing. He instructs us to give. He instructs us to serve. He instructs us to rest. He instructs us to step to the table. He instructs us to confess. All of these things are for our good. And they connect us more deeply to Him and to each other. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for... Um, Thank you for just such a a refreshing um, and succinct way to think about uh, what you have called us to. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Thank you for, I mean, something that just is summed up in a sentence like that. And then it's not some sort of like thing to be intimidated by. It's something to be drawn to. That because we love you. We could participate in these things and they be filled with meaning. Because you have loved us first, we're drawn into this rhythm of a family that's learning to love you and love one another a little bit more each time. That because of your grace and because of your goodness, uh, we aren't intimidated by communion. We're not intimidated by communion. Uh, the Bible or any of these kinds of things, but we're intrigued and we're drawn into the mystery because you're in them. You're in this room with us right now in fullness. You're not withholding anything from us in these moments. As we sang right there at the end before, before the message, we, just, we need to become more aware of just how near you actually are. And so even in these next few moments, Lord, will, will you just grace us with awareness? That as the communion table opens, would you help us to realize that by taking communion, we're, we're engaging with you in a special way. By singing together, we're engaging with one another and you in a special way. By praying, by just whatever it is, God, that there's something happening in these moments and you have designed this time together on purpose. So God, we thank you for these practices, these things that are a part of being your people. Thank you that you're able to fill them with meaning if we'll just let you. So we love you, God. We look forward to just... A few closing moments together to be able to celebrate a little bit and just sing and and just relax into the fact that we are yours. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We love you so much. And this time is yours. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Taylor will be here serving communion. If you want to step forward and, and take it, that's completely up to you. it's the kind where you'll tear the bread off and you'll dip it in the cup and you'll take it. And there's something powerful about tearing the body of Christ, which was torn for you, and dipping that in the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for you. And so that's an option for you. If you want to come kneel here at the front and pray, if that's good for you, that's fine. If you want to sing and just stay where you are, that's cool. Just to steward these closing moments together realizing what he's called us to, the opportunity in front of us. May there be some, some really, like a good sense of determination in front of us and excitement about what he's doing uh, as we sing and respond together. So the table is open. Let's just respond.